Amen. If you can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand and turn to Jonah chapter 4. And while you turn there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself angry? You say, yes, of course. With God. Amen. <laughs> have you ever found yourself angry with God? Or have you ever talked to someone who was angry at God? Uh, maybe they lost a loved one. Perhaps it was a, a child or a job. Perhaps they were sexually assaulted. Um, whatever the situation was, you, you met them, you talked to them, and they were trying to make sense of everything. And at the end of the day, you just felt that they were upset at God. You felt that they were upset at God. Well, today we're going to look at Jonah, and we're going to see a raging prophet, a prophet that is upset with God. Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his, the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy lawyer in Chicago in the 19th century, and he had four daughters and a son. afflicted him and allowed him to suffer greatly. His son tragically died 
And just after his son tragically died, um, a, a short while after, he and his family decided to get away to go to England. Something came up and he couldn't go on a trip, so he simply sent his wife and four daughters. Around that same time, there was a, a big fire that broke out in Chicago, which we know as the Chicago Fire, and he lost most of his real estate prof property. And soon after, on that voyage, the ship that his wife and children were traveling on would strike something and eventually sink. His four children died, leaving only his wife. Now, most people, when we hear something like that, someone losing so much in such a short amount of time, we may conclude that, uh, you know, this person has a right to be angry at God. This person has a right to be raging. Misfortune after misfortune kind of left him with, with nothing. However... Spafford was able, in the midst of all of that, to pen one of the most beautiful lyrics to, uh, to, to a hymn that is popular, which is often called, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. The first stanza in the hymn goes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Brother Jimmy Butts did a great job in Sunday school this morning. If you weren't here, you missed a treat. Um, he is one of our uh, newest members and also an uh, ordained minister as well. And he brought up the point that earlier this year, we got to see uh, the Lord work through his people in Charleston. And we got to see in the midst of tragedy, travesty, in the midst of tragedy, excuse me, in the midst of darkness, that the people of God was able, in essence, to say, it's well with our soul. We're, they were able to rally and, and to encourage each other. The key to us having a right perspective when things don't go our way, the key to us having joy is understanding that we must trust the character and mission of God. When things don't go the way we want them to, when we find ourselves with rage or anger or the wrong perspective, it is because we have failed to trust in the character and mission of God. And that's exactly what we see happening here in the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, we saw a, a running prophet. Amen. Jonah was called to go to a place called Nineveh to minister but instead of going to Nineveh, he went to a place called Tarshish. He, he ran. And we talked about how anytime we run from the mission of God, we are headed in a downward spiral. The Bible says that Jonah went down to Tarshish and he got on board to Joppa uh, to go to Tarshish. Then he went down into a sea, uh, to the ship and, took a, and laid down and took a nap. And then he got thrown down into the sea overboard. And then he got taken into the belly of a fish and went down into the belly of a fish. Whenever we uh, disobey God, go against God's way, we're headed down. So we looked at the running prophet. In chapter 2, we looked at the repenting prophet. It was when he was in the belly of the fish that he came to himself. He called out to God and he asked God to save his life. He repented. He turned from being disobedient. In chapter 3, 
We, we looked at the reviving prophet, this prophet that God used to preach to Nineveh and for Nineveh to, to be changed, to, to be impacted. And today, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see uh, uh, this, this raging prophet. We're going to see judgmental Jonah. Judgmental Jonah, that, that God uses him to preach, that he obeys the Lord, uh, but then he kind of slips back into his, his own way and his old way. Verse 9 of chapter 3, it says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's the king after Jonah has preached. In verse 10, it says, When God saw that he, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God had promised to destroy the city. He had promised to take them under unless they repented. And they repented and he did not destroy them. Now it's important to realize that when Jonah went preaching, uh, his message was not a message of foretelling. It wasn't a foretelling prophecy as much as it was foretelling. It was a, a warning of the things to come. So people sometimes say, well, well, God just changed his mind. If he changed his mind, he can't be all-knowing. He's just kind of making up things as he goes. No, God already knew beforehand that Nineveh would respond to the preaching of Jonah. In fact, the only reason that they were able to respond to the preaching of Jonah was because the Holy Spirit allowed them to be able to respond to the preaching of Jonah. All right, that footnote is over. So... We see here in, in chapter 4, verse 1, that, that Jonah is exceedingly displeased. He is, that's what the text says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Why is Jonah exceedingly displeased? Because the people of Nineveh repented and he expected God to relent from the disaster that he promised. He is angry because his message went well. He is angry because revival broke out in Nineveh. Jonah is the only preacher I have ever known to be upset that God used him for revival. Anybody else who God used to save 200,000 plus people, all right, they probably would have ended their preaching career, wrote a book, and hit the circuit to tell everybody about how they prepared the sermon, how well things went, amen, and then they would have retired somewhere. But not Jonah. Jonah is upset that God used them. He's angry. In fact, we read in verse 2, that he does something that's positive, that's good. In the midst of being angry and upset, he prays. I believe that's a good thing. God wants to hear from us. The book of Psalms, the Psalter, is a, a sigh for every emotion of the heart. And, and in the Psalter, we see David and other psalmists constantly praying out and calling out to God 
being honest with them in the midst of their situation and circumstance, taking every feeling before the Lord. Paul tells us that we ought to pray without ceasing. Uh, James chapter 5 says if there's anyone sick, if there's anyone cheerful, if there anyone is suffering, let them pray. This is a good thing, right? Jonah is upset. He's angry, exceedingly angry. He's raging. And what does he do? He goes to the Lord in prayer. But the prayer that Jonah prays is an extremely self-aggrandizing and self-centered prayer. In just two verses, we see him use the term I or my nine times, which shows that Jonah's life is still about Jonah. It's not about the character of God. It's not about the the mission of God. He, He knows God's character. He he knows God's character, but knowing something about God is not enough. You've got to trust this God that you have knowledge about. And Jonah did not trust God. He knew God, but he did not trust God's faith. He did not trust God's plan. He did not trust that God knew what was best. In fact, look at what he prays in. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He's upset. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He prays scripture back to God. This is God's own words in Exodus chapter 34 when he passed before Moses and and, and, and making a covenant after Israel has sinned and made a, a golden calf. He said, he claimed about himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord, speaking of himself, gracious and merciful, Abounding in steadfast love. He's praying this back to God. He knows these things about God, but he doesn't really know God. He doesn't really trust God. His own sinful thoughts and and, and ways is, is hindering him from being in a thriving relationship with God. We can know a hundred verses by heart. Come to Sunday school, Wednesday night Bible study. We can go to every conference in the world. It's not about your knowledge. Paul says knowledge puffs up. Knowledge alone puffs up. There's plenty of people who are like frogs. Frogs have big heads but small bodies. No, our goal in learning about God is for our head and our heart to connect, that our hands would do his will. See, Jonah's problem was that he was, he was committing idolatry. He was trying to shape God into the form that he wanted God to be shaped in. He could not, he could not imagine that God would be for a people like Nineveh. He couldn't imagine that God could love people that were so 
to Israel and he, he knew that Nineveh, which was a part of Assyria, was a, a real threat to Israel. And his thinking is, is that because they're so wicked, because they're so messed up, God is going to take them out of Israel. God's people would be fine and protected and great. But her thoughts are not like God's thoughts. God has a heart for all people. God has a heart for everyone. And Jonah had to learn that lesson. Jonah was so angry that he asked God three times in his text. He said, it's, it's better if I was dead. He said, if I would rather be dead than to see these people come to know you. The anger, the rage that's in Jonah's heart. Do you have that type of anger and rage for someone? Is there, is there someone in your life who, who you hate so much that you would be upset if God saved them? The Lord coming along and saving Nineveh would be possibly for the United States equivalent to the Lord coming along and saving ISIS. Enemies. But the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What's, what's amazing about this text is just two chapters early, we see Jonah in need of that same grace. What Jonah failed to see was that he, he was Nineveh, that he was just like them, that he was no more righteous than they were. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is crying out to the Lord for the Lord to save him because he was walking in, in, in disobedience. And then we see in verse 8, he says this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. He says those that, 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 that are, whose hearts are captivated by idolatry, they have no hope. And now we see here in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 4, verse number 3, that, that Jonah is without hope. Why? Because he was worshiping something other than God. That's what idolatry does. It, it takes us away from God. And we find ourselves worshiping something or someone else. And then we find ourselves in despair. That's what happened just this past week. I was reading an article about a young girl that was shot in the head, four years old, because of a man's road rage. The girl's father apparently must have cut him off or wasn't driving the way the man thought he should drive. So in the middle of the highway, he took out a gun and shot, killing a four-year-old girl. What's, what's going on in that man's heart? There's, there's something that he is valuing, something that he is worshiping more than God. Something that he is ascribing supreme worth to. And in that moment, that idol had his heart so much so, so he was willing to murder and to kill. And that's what we talked about a few weeks ago in James chapter 4. While there are fights, while there are quarrels among you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Jonah is in a predicament here where he is so discouraged by God's grace towards them that he would rather be dead. He has so much anger in his heart. Look at verse 4. We're going to see how the Lord deals with Jonah. We're going to see this gracious God 
In the midst of Jonah talking to God this way, God just simply asked him a question and he says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Is this, is this anger a, a righteous anger? Because there's two types of anger. There's a worldly anger and a righteous anger. A worldly anger is focused on us. We are at the center of it. When we get angry because something didn't go our way or someone didn't do what we want them to do, we're, we're angered because our reputation is at stake. Because our rights and our demands have not been met. A righteous anger, and there is a righteous anger, Ephesians chapter 4, be angry, but sin not. There, there is an anger that's acceptable. Anger, anger is actually an emotion. So, so to get angry and to be angry may not necessarily be sinful. It's what we do with that anger. Is it, is it an anger that we can use to glorify God? There's an anger that we should have. We should be angry when we hear about the sex traffic uh, trade. We should be angry. We should be angry when we see the type of of racism that goes on in our communities. And even when we hear about a young black male being murdered, cold blood, unjustly by a, a figure of authority that has been proven to be the case. We should be angry. But that anger shouldn't just point back to us, it should point back to God. We're angry because these people are created in the image of God. We're angry because this woman has value by God. Object. We're angry because this, this man deserves a fair trial or justice. But the difference between those two really comes down to how we respond. If we're going to respond in a, a worldly anger or, or, or a, a godly anger, really does come down to our perception of God. Do I trust that God is in the midst of every trust his character? Do I believe that he's gracious and, and merciful? Do I believe that he's loving? Do I believe that he will avenge all wrongdoing? That one day he will make what's wrong right? Do I believe that? As a child of God, do I believe that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose? See, Jonah did not believe that he believed that God was gracious and merciful, but he did not believe that he was just. And, and a natural inclination in Jonah's heart to see justice and mercy is what God created us for. We long for both. How many people love crime dramas here? Anybody? Anybody love a crime drama? I, I love crime dramas. Have you ever watched a drama where the good guy, you know, is really a bad guy? I've watched movies like that. I didn't call out the movies, right? Where you start rooting for a guy you should be rooting against because he's really the lesser of two evils, right? But even as we watch that movie, what do we want? We want justice for that person. We want what's going to be right to come out. Because God has created us, we're creating this image with a desire to see justice done. We're also created with a desire to see mercy. We, we know that we need it, and, and we like seeing people. 
people have a second chance. But it becomes distorted. Our view of justice and mercy becomes distorted when we separate it from the God of the Bible. When we separate it from the character of God and the mission of God. The mission of God, Jonah, was not to simply save Israel. The mission of God was for Israel to be the vehicle of his glory. To be the people that would spread his glory throughout the earth. But Israel, like Jonah, became self-righteous. Jonah reminds me of another group of people that we read about in the New Testament. A group of people called the Pharisees. Right? Who had their own standard of righteousness. And it was a self-righteousness that, self-righteousness that kept people away from Jesus rather than that drew people to Jesus. Anytime we have the wrong picture and theology of the doctrine of sin, we will end up self-righteous. Anytime we believe that everybody else is messed up, but us, we end up self-righteous. See, the right doctrine of sin is a, is, is a doctrine that says that we, we all are jacked up. We all miss the boat. And in Romans chapter 6, we read, 3, excuse me, we read these words. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off, Jonah? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Every single human being born of a woman is born a sinner. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's all of us. No one is righteous. One of my favorite uh, things to do when sharing the gospel with people is to just simply take them through the Ten Commandments. Because normally when I I try to share the gospel with someone, the good news of Jesus, and I talk about salvation, I I may start with a question that says, if you died today and you were to stand before God's presence, would you make it into heaven if he asked you? Should you come into heaven? And mostly everyone that I have talked to over the years kind of respond like, either I don't know or I think so. And when I say, uh, uh, what's the rule or or what's what's the judge that that what's going to allow you to get in? They normally say, uh, I think that I'm a good person. And I love taking them through the law, the Ten Commandments, one by one, and then asking them, have they committed these sins? And normally after the fourth or fifth commandment, that person is fully aware that by God's standards, they are a sinner. The one I I absolutely love to do is is when I ask them, have you ever murdered someone? The Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not murder. 
They know I'll be saying, no, I've never murdered. I say, well, I have. They go, what? Because according to, to Jesus' standard of murder, on the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just physically taking someone's life. It's calling someone rock a fool. It's using your words to harm them. See, Jonah had a bad theology of sin. He thought that the Ninevites were worse than him. And the truth is, he was a sinner just like them. And he and Israel deserved no more mercy. Israel? Israel? Never can get it right, Israel? Worshiping Baal, Israel? Worshipping Molech, Israel. It was only by God's grace and mercy that Israel made it out of the, the wilderness. This is what I want to show you. God meets us in our anger. If we're his children, God meets us in our self-righteousness. God really is gracious and merciful. He really is amazing. Look how, look how he treats Jonah real quick, and I'm done. Number one, he asks Jonah a question in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? Now, between verse 4 and verse 6, God should have snatched Jonah up. Do you know what Jonah did? He refused to answer God's question. He ignored him. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city. <laughs> And sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under, the sh- in, under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He straight up ignored God. Now, when I used to ignore my mother, I'm going to tell you what would have happened, amen, or what did happen. <laughs> but he ignores the creator of the universe, the one who is allowing his breath to circulate through his body. But how does God respond? Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. That's amazing. He creates a plant specifically for Jonah so that Jonah would not be discomfortable. Even though Jonah is, has a, a rebellious heart. And even when we look at our own lives, when we are not missional, it's normally because we are not trusting in the character of God. It's normally because we are not meditating on his mercies and his goodness. But, but even then, he's still good to us. He still treats us better than we deserve. He still puts food on our table, clothes on our back how gracious God is. Verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is a prophet who has things upside down. We should have read Jonah was exceedingly glad because Nineveh Repent it and trust in, the, in God's word. But that's not what he's excited about. 
Uh oh, we're about to have some fun here. What's he excited about? He's excited because he's comfortable. Excited because he's comfortable. Are we living a comfort centered life or a Christ centered life? What, what makes us exceedingly? last time you were exceedingly happy. Look at God. Loves us too much to leave us where we are. Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And sometimes that's, that's really the root sometimes of our depression, of our angst is that we want things to go our way and when they don't go our way we have self-pity but what we're missing we're failing to trust in the character and mission of God we're, we're failing to see that God's hand is at work in our lives both in the good and the bad nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens just to mere circumstance. There is a sovereign God in heaven who cares about your sanctification and lost people being saved. And we do well not to be angry and bitter, but to trust a gracious God who has allowed it to come our way so that he will be glorified. And for our good. That takes faith to believe. That whatever has come my way is for his glory and my good. But that's why the proverb, that's why the Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Because according to human reasoning, a lot of stuff don't make sense. Stop being angry at God or upset at God because of your upbringing. God can use your upbringing to bring glory to his name. The Bible testifies about that with Joseph, his brother, selling him into slavery. God worked it for his glory and Joseph's good. Do you trust that? 
So God allows the east wind to come. Jonah wishes that he was dead. God appoints all of these things in his life. God appointed a mission for Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah rebelled. He then appointed a storm. Jonah continues to rebel. He then appoints a fish. Jonah goes and preaches. Now he rebels again. His heart is angry. He appoints a plant. Then he appoints a wind to take out the plant. (laughs) God is appointing things. All these things work together. So God asked him again. He said, Jonah, you didn't think I was going to let you get away with ignoring me, did you? I asked you a question, boy. Do you do well to be angry for a plant? Jonah thought he got away from a whooping, right? Do you do angry? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Jonah rather died than to see his enemy saved. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not come into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand for their left and also much cattle. He says, you're upset because I took this plant from you. You didn't do anything to make the plant come. Should I not? Should I not pity a city full of people who are blind? And that may be you today. You you may be here today blind. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. You may be Nineveh here today. Perhaps God brought you here today through a number of unfortunate circumstances. Perhaps you was that person who would never just come to church on your own. But you're here today. And God has allowed your life and things to to break down. God has compassion and, and, and perhaps is pitying you because he wants to see you come to repentance. God is full of love and mercy and he wants us all to come into the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That in itself is a miracle. That he would love a world full of people who love themselves rather than him. He so loved the world that he gave. Listen, he gave his only begotten. He gave the most precious gift to us. So that we would have eternal life. Later on, so that we would have abundant life. My prayer is that we, that we would trust the character of God and that we would trust the mission of God. Jesus said, I have come, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man didn't just come to have church. 
He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Those who think that they have no need for a savior. He said, I didn't come to save them. I came to save those who realize that they cannot save themselves. That they are not good enough by themselves. And it's at the cross of Jesus that we see God's justice and God's mercy kiss. It is at the cross that Jesus takes the punishment of the Ninevites himself, though he is without sin. It is at the cross that Jesus is swallowed up by God's wrath. It is at the cross where justice was poured out on God's son because of our sin. But it's also at the cross that we receive mercy and that sinners are declared righteous by a holy God. You and I, we are not saved because we just decided to be saved. We are not God's child and God's people because we simply decided to be God's child and God's people. We are God's people because he came in and saved us. He appointed storms. He appointed trials. He orchestrated our life to go in the way that it went so that we can see that we are sinners in need of mercy. What what does God want in return? We looked at last week how he saved us out of darkness. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. So that we as his workmanship would do the good works that he created us for. Be missional, to go and to tell people about his mercy, to go and to tell people about his grace, to go and to tell people I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. To go and to tell people about this resurrected Savior who met us where we were and who is better to us than we deserve. So what are, what are you angry about? What is it that's gripping your heart so bad that you think that you have a right to be upset with God or that God made a mistake? See, trusting God says, I believe that if I knew all that God knew, then I would want my life to go the same way. Because he has a full picture of my life. It's like a, a, a blimp at a parade. A blimp over parade sees the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade. We're in the parade. We just see one flow after another flow. But God has a full panoramic perspective. And he's saying, my child, if you just talk to me, if you just hook up with me, I'll tell you what's the next flow. I'll tell you what's the next direction you need to take. If you just trust me, I'll show you how that pain will be used for your gain. Thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the story of, of Jonah. I pray, Father God, that you would allow us to be more, more missional, to, to be able to hear our own hearts speak and, and what it's saying. So we'll be able to identify those idols, those things in our hearts that we, we want more than you. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to see, Lord, that we, we are as a that all of us deserve your wrath, 
Well, my prayer is, Father God, is that you would allow us, if we walked in here today with anger in our heart or self-pity or sulking, and that if we're not sure.